We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 59. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting and Keith Dicker, everyone's favorite boomer, new haircut today, ready for the live event, looking good. Uh, welcome back to the show, gentlemen. What's, uh, what's new? What's new is that Canada put up a valiant effort in its first World Cup appearance since 1986. Keith must have been in, just graduating from college. Who knows? Uh, but I, I watched the game. I was so proud of the boys. They dominated Belgium, dominated Belgium, who, by the way, is ranked two, uh, second in the FIFA World Cup and the World Rankings. Canada lost, sadly, because of just like one defensive breakdown. But I'm just so incredibly proud to be Canadian. We played so well. This is the football world cup, by the way, for people who live under a rock. Um, and uh, it's held in Qatar this year. Um, it's disrupted all of the football seasons throughout the, all the world, but Hey, as long as set bladder gets paid, that's the most important thing. But the, but it, the Canadian men's team made Canada very, very proud. Uh, it was a tough, tough loss. Uh, Alfonso Davies missed the penalty, which was, he probably should have made that, but yeah, man, it was amazing. It was a great, great game, although we did lose, but Hey, we're not supposed to win at soccer and we'll see the next game I think is against Croatia, which is definitely a winnable match. And then I can't remember the third game, but yeah, stay tuned. It'll be, well, I really think we can do something this year. So there you go. That's, that's, that's we all don't I have got. no participation medals here. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I love what, what you're right. I think this has the potential to really, um, build momentum i i think they have a real shot to get through to the next round do you remember the uh i don't remember who it was it was the it was the olympics a, a few years ago and the the canadian women's rug i think it was sevens that they play right seven aside i yep. think i just remember watching watching that team and they were unbelievable and like every game the momentum kept building for them I mean, I think this is a great time. I know in Canada, we're always focused on hockey usually, but uh, th this is a pretty big deal. And, you know, hopefully we'll get, we'll get through, but Hey, watch, watch the matches. They're fun. There's so much reaction. Of course, everyone saw Japan beating Germany as yeah, it was well. An amazing game. Yeah. Full yeah. Full value yeah. for the win. Full value. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Rich, what else? Must, I did, I did be. get my haircut, right? So that's, that looks 
good for people who can't see it. I himself. He looked 10 yeah. years younger. I know. I know. I, I, I used a stew bowl this time, not a soup bowl. I had to get a bit, bit bigger. But off we go. What do you got this week, Steve? Uh, yeah, just uh, we'll you know open it up as always on the Canadian front here. Just a little bit on the couple notes on the we had our our good friends at the the Bank of Canada. Um, we're out this week. Carolyn Rogers actually gave a speech for quote the young persons of finance. I guess it's some sort of club or something. I don't know, but anyways, uh, she went on to say that um, house prices were too high and that they needed to come down, which was kind of ironic, obviously, given the, the crowd that she was speaking to and their role in inflating said house prices. Um, but, you know, coming off of that was was quite interesting because they actually released a report and they released a report based on of what everything we've been talking about on the Looney Hour here for many, many months. And it seems like the policymakers and the regulators are finally starting to sniff it out, which is... These variable rate, these fixed payment trigger rates that are now sort of sweeping across the nation. Uh, so you actually had some data that was released last week from Desjardins. And so Desjardins says basically nearly every borrower who took out a fixed payment variable mortgage between May 2020 and July 2022 now owes more in interest than their monthly fixed payment. So pretty pretty start um now if you continue on that path the bank of canada like i said just released a report uh and per their report they were they said that, that uh, about 50% of all variable rate mortgages with fixed payments have already reached their trigger rate so this represents about 13% of all mortgages outstanding in canada so just to give you a little bit of context so Basically, 13% of all mortgages in Canada have reached their trigger rate. And that doesn't already include true, authentic, real variable rate mortgages, which which actually float. Um, so if you take the whole sort of basket of, of variable mortgages in Canada, about one third of them have this floating rate. So where your payment will automatically change as soon as the Bank of Canada raises interest rates, as soon as prime as soon as the prime rate changes, your variable payment will change. The other two thirds are these fixed payment mortgages. Um, and that's basically when, again, less of your payment goes towards principal and more of it goes towards interest. And so basically what the Bank of Canada is saying, 50% of all of those um, have reached a point where they're, they're not paying anything towards principal. It's all going towards interest. Uh, and so again, and in some cases we're seeing, um, obviously where the banks are saying, Hey, listen, you're not even paying any interest right now. You're not paying enough of your interest. You're paying zero principal. And you're not paying enough interest. So we need to increase your payments so you can pay all of your interest or we'll actually add it back to the sort of, uh, balance of the mortgage. So anyways, this is a real problem. The bank of Canada has clearly, uh, started flagging it. I have a question for you, Steve. Um, have you seen any analysis or thoughts on what happens if there's another quarter point increase in prime or 50 basis points? Like at, at what point does it become even more severe? Because I, I assume it's an exponential curve we're looking at. 
Yeah, I don't have that. So nobody seems to put that out. But, you know, obviously, like the problem just com- compounds, right? Because um, we had to be at the edge now, right? If all of a sudden we're at, you know, X percent, you know, they've already reached the trigger point and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, if you're on a floating variable, which, again, like I said, you know, one third of all variable mortgages are floating. Those people have been getting crushed this year. Um it's the people that have had these fixed payments that can hide um, more or less that they've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. You know, you've seen some increases, but the problem is they haven't been paying any principal. So that becomes an issue at renewal two, three, four years from now when you've really had an interest only loan um, and you got to renew your mortgage. So, um, so this is actually from our good friend, Ron Butler. I think he's a listener of the show. God bless him. Great follow on Twitter. Uh, the mortgage guy. So um, he's saying that he's now picking up that banks are actually getting calls from people who can't pay their mortgages. Um, And so he's saying that basically if the mortgage was originally insured, which means, you know, less than a million dollar purchase, less than 20% down. So you have to go through a mortgage insurer such as CMHC um, that on emergency requests from the lender to the insurer, the borrower can actually be allowed to extend their amortization to 40 years. Uh, and there may be an opportunity to defer a payment, but that is not yet available for uninsured mortgages, which is basically any mortgage that is, is has a purchase price north of a million dollars. So the regulators basically, again, if you're going through the insurance program, which is backstopped by the federal government and, and us taxpayers, they are actually in some cases allowing people to actually extend and pretend basically. So now, now that I think is a really good time to um, remind all of our Canadian listeners what the head of the central bank said on July 20th, sorry, July, 2020, he said, if you got a mortgage or if you're considering making a major purchase, you can be confident rates will be low for a long time. And I remind everybody about this because I like to hold a grudge. And that is what the central bank um, governor, the head of the central, Canadian central bank said n- almost uh, two years and two months ago, and then proceeded by raising interest rates at the fastest pace in 40 years. Um, I'm going to say it. I know I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. That guy should be fired. And it's, a, it's an absolute, I think it's really embarrassing um, that he said that. Um, and it's also really sad for the people who took that advice at face value because he's one of the most important technocrats in our country um, and went out and bought a variable rate and levered up and did all these things. Um, that's why you have to be really, really careful when you're in that job. And that's why you get paid those big bucks and you get these beautiful pensions. But yeah, so I couldn't resist, but of reminding just, everybody. Of that. I mean, that's a great point. Just, just to you to add on to that. People always say, well, you know, he didn't give a specific time. He just said for a long time, it's kind of, it's, no, 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 no. If you read the monetary policy reports that they put out, they, they give you their forecast for interest rates. And so their forecast was actually for no rate increases until at least the end, the end of 2023. That was in their monetary policy report. Wow, so, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that. It, what they actually they did give you basically like a specific timeline. Again, may hey, life happens, world's a complicated place, but a pretty bad call. Um, well, as so, as know, Bob Uc- as Bob Euchre would say, just a little outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, 
So anyways, that's, uh, that's kind of what's happened to Canadian housing front. Like I said, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the issues I think with, with these, I think people are really struggling. I'd be curious to see. I mean, I think we had rich, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we had like decent retail sales data last month. And I, I just, I don't know if they broke it down. Like, I don't know if, if how much inflation is actually, you know, boosting those numbers, but I have to think that with such a highly levered economy that is so predicated on like borrowing from your house to go and spend money, you know, last week we talked about it, national house prices nationally, the home price index is down 15% or, or you could say your average home price has dropped by $132,000 since peaking earlier this year. So your house prices are falling. You're, 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 you're debt servicing your, you know, your interest rates dropped 400 basis points. I have to think retail spending just gets clobbered um, in the months ahead. But again, the data hasn't really rolled over yet. And that's why I really am skeptical that this data is really telling us the whole picture yet. Um, so I think it's a really good point. And we've discussed this in a different context a couple of weeks ago. And so just so people understand, uh, retail sales was is up 1.2% year on year in real terms. In nominal terms, so when you include the increase in prices that everyone's feeling, it's 6.9%. The problem with these retail sales data is that it's an aggregate total. So it doesn't account for the fact that Canada's had the highest population growth in 55 years. And I think that that's sort of where the, that's where the rub lies, right? So I think if you, I should, I should actually have already done this. So forgive me and maybe we'll have it for next week. Um, I promise to actually, which is if you do it per capita, it's almost certainly down. And I will, I, I will, I will share that next week. Um, Speaking of per capita. Oh yeah. You had uh, yeah. some interesting news, news you want to share with us. <laughs> yeah. So let me bring it up here. Um, so the OEC, so the OECD, which is an acronym, which I can never remember. You don't, yeah, I don't, I don't worry about it. It's just some, some organization. <laughs> No, no, it's a very important uh, organization that we should, I mean, have for, uh, respect for these people. There's a lot of smart people out there trying to just figure the world out like we are. Um, and they came out with a real GDP per capita forecast. Now, anyone who knows me or follows me knows I'm not a big fan of forecasts. So take this with a grain of salt. But they do a forecast based on all kinds of things. So debt or inflation expectations. Uh, growth potential, output gaps, population growth is an important contributor, um, productivity growth. Anyway, so they rank oh, the OECD countries. I think there's like 30 odd countries. This is includes places like Turkey, Estonia, Japan, Australia, Chile, whatever. And the um, and at the and the forecast was for per annu per annum real GDP per capita growth between 2020 to 2030. Now, I think this was done a, a couple of uh, quarters ago. I don't think this is exactly up to, it's not super, super recent, but be that as it may, at the top of this list is Turkey. I'm a little dubious about that. Um, although they have a growing industrial base and they have other small countries like Estonia and Latvia, Poland's having a hell of a resurgence and they're at the top of the table. And at the bottom of the table, you'll be happy to know, Keith, Italy is there and below Italy, on this OECD forecast is dear old Canada. Um, and with an expected 
um, real GDP per capita growth of less than 1% per year over the next 10 years. So we'll see. I mean, obviously things, everything can change. Like I said, I don't like forecasts. I don't, so, you know, you've got to take this with a little pinch of salt there, but it is interesting that uh, some of the top economists in the world are not exactly thrilled about what's going on here. And it's, you know, you reap what you sow, I suppose, but there you go. Next week, I'll have the retail sales data. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, actually, I think one more thing. Oh, I mean, I, I'm in BC here. So we, um, we got to our, our new sort of premier uh, of, the, of the province, David Eby, who's actually, a, a, I, would, I, don't know, I don't know if I'd call him a friend, but um, him and I have, have had a few uh, conversations in the past. Um, he, yes, he's taken over uh, on the housing frontier because it's, it's kind of interesting. The only reason why I bring this up, because I know we've got Ontario listeners and go, why is this guy talking about BC? Um, is that I find that the, the policymakers are now having a lot of the same conversations and you're seeing a lot of the same policy measures being implemented. Um, and so they, the BC government has basically announced that they are going to be eliminating uh, rental restrictions in all strata buildings in BC. What does that mean? What's an all strata building? So, okay. So like you've got a condominium, right? Like a condo building and you've got a strata that says, Hey, listen, you know, there's a hundred units in the building, but you know, we're trying to keep it sort of like quieter, more local, you know, we, so we only want to allow 20 units in the whole building to be rented because we want to have less tenants and we want to have more owner occupied people living here. Uh, so that's fairly common. Now he's brought, he's bringing legislation. Uh, it's supposed to actually at the day that we're recording to basically remove that. So he wants to say, no matter what, I don't care who, who what your building is. We want to you to open up the doors and allow everyone to rent out their place. So the implications of this, I bring this up because it's actually quite, quite interesting that I think people aren't really talking about is yes. Okay. You might free up some more rental supply. Great. Um, but the big thing here is in the city of Vancouver and in BC, we have a BC speculation tax, which says if the home is not like utilized, if you're not like living in, in, in utilizing it for at least six months of the year or renting it out that you have to pay like an, an annual tax basically of like your property value. So it's like, you know, if you're a non BC resident, it might be, I think it's 2% annually. And then you got the empty homes tax in the city of Vancouver, which says, again, if you're not renting out your unit, it's a 3% annual tax of your property's value. Huge, huge numbers. Um, but what people can check off when they go to apply for an exemption is they can say, well, my building doesn't allow me to rent it out. We're currently maxed out. Now, by removing this restriction, you create a scenario where you're forcing them to rent these out. But these, a lot of people own, like a lot of wealthy people, for example, they own like these pied de in the city where they just want to come and go as they please. And they, they almost... They're like, well, great. I have an excuse not to rent it out. I only want to use it one month of the year. So I think it's actually going to force these people onto the market. So it's interesting more just from like a, a policy business perspective, because I think you're going to lose a lot of like secondary investment. It's kind of just basically the policies I think are discouraging, uh, you know, wealthy people, people from actually, uh, you know, owning secondary homes in Vancouver and in BC for that matter. And Ontario is going down the exact same path. I think they just brought in an empty homes tax in Toronto. So there you go. Do those, do those work? Those empty homes tax? Uh, do they knock on the doors and say, hi, you know, are you? No, you know, I mean, it's a self-declaration. You know, like, it's a self-declaration, but they do have, um, 
they do have like an auditing team and they do audit actually quite a few homes and you got to like produce like energy bills and stuff like that to show that you're living in it. Like it is fairly invasive. Um, I, I would say it's freeze. It definitely has freed up some housing stock, but like, if you look at like house prices and rents, I mean, they're still going up like double digits historically. So I don't know. I don't know how much, but I would say it's definitely discouraged investment for sure. Likewise. And Vancouver, Vancouver is notorious for having these giant uh, mansions that are empty, isn't it? Is that still true? Yeah, I think a lot of that or is, is that like overblown. Media. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely portions of like the West Side, wealthy areas, a lot of overseas, particularly from China, that tend to have vacant neighborhoods. Yes, um, but I think I think it's a little bit overhyped. But I think, I think again, long story short, I don't want to bore everyone to death in this micro stuff, but it's interesting because, like I said, this is take the lead from BC. Toronto has basically been replicating everything that BC has been doing. Um, and then, you know, you've got, in, as of 2023, um, you know, Trudeau and the Liberal government ha- has brought in that two-year foreign buyer ban, right? So if you're a foreign national without any economic ties to Canada with a, with a job or a Canadian PR, uh, you know, you're not allowed to purchase at all. So it's interesting that all these sort of policies are coming into play. And like I said, in, in a bear market, there you go. What else? Keith, what are you looking at? Well, right now I'm just enjoying the Steve and Rich show for 20 minutes now. It's, it's going back and forth. That's fine. This guy curious. doesn't care what is his, in his mansion there. In, uh, yeah, I'm just in hanging out. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's we often have views on things and someone's view is irrelevant. You know, really what it is, you know, instead you have to say, okay, this is what they're going to do. Yeah. But I have to say, I, 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 I think I have a pretty strong disagreement with governments trying to decide whether you're allowed to buy property and not rent it out or buy it and not live in it it's anyway i I just think it's a it's just not right so but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it so uh again i think it's like they're just treating the symptoms of of a much bigger problem um i mean i would i would agree yeah that's going to be uh but you know, listening to what's been happening, uh, I, I just love the the conversation that, that you guys are having there with, with the real estate side, and uh, because when we, you know, we're gonna be in Toronto next week, of course, and it will be a Twinkie Bet event. It's the Bank of Canada Boom. will be coming out, and it's gonna be a live event. Like, uh, do you get us? Yeah, it's a live event for the Looney Hour. It's a live event for the BOC as well, right? Yeah. Yes, Sorry, so remind, remind us remind us when the the rate hike expo, where it's meant to happen. December 6th, isn't it? Uh yeah, it's the Wednesday afterwards, so the 7th I think it'll be. So uh okay. we still owe us a Twinkie from last time. Yeah, yeah, people are really upset about that still. Eric Jones has been emailing in every day. Yeah. Oh, I love Eric. He's so nice with the emails. There's a background um, story on that guys. We have a Hour website uh free plug loonyhour.ca i think it is uh anyways we have like this submission form we got a really a lot of nice comments from from a lot of our listeners we appreciate that the kind emails that come in but there's one email that we get every single day and it's like from this guy eric jones and he sends like a long email that says let me help you boost your seo and goes on and on and on and anyways he, he just will not leave us alone it's like this auto spam thing eric jones we are not interested in your seo services 
Well, nah. I keep responding yes to him. I keep responding <laughs> yes to him. So that's why he keeps coming back. Okay, let, let's get back on track here, guys. Um, you know, I, I think we are now at the, the most interesting pivot point. It, it is coming up. And uh, next week, we'll have a, a really great conversation about it. When I say the bank, Rich was asking, what does it mean when the Bank of Canada meeting is in play? Yeah, oh, sorry, it's a live meeting. Is that they're going to do something. But as we mentioned last time, people have no clue what they're going to do because they're, they're all over the place, right? A bunch of like a drunken sailors or, or whatever. Uh, so that's going to be a fun event. I suspect we'll have three different uh, responses coming up. Rich might try to slip in a fourth one as well. I'm going to be a bit cheeky with it, you, but yes. Well, I was going to ask you, sorry, I know you got the, the billion dollar Bloomberg subscription there. Um, what are, what are the rate hike odds at the moment? Do you know, like I think, I mean, last I think last I looked a couple of weeks ago, the market was pricing in sixty five basis points of tightening or something over the next four months. Uh, so right now we're at three seventy five, so three point seven five, and um, I mean, the, the market is pricing in another fifty basis points plus maybe another one after that. But that's fifty. That's fifty over the next like what two quarters or something well it could well, no not two quarters it could be anywhere we could be there by january or by next october the, the market has no idea how to price the bank of canada anymore and that's my point so we'll you know we're going to have an interesting i already have my number lined up but i can't let rich know yet um but this morning let's let's tie with all this coming I mean, the, the world is all tied together here and, um, you know, we're, we're now seeing, you know, we're getting the, the banking story here in Canada, about what's happening with, with mortgages. Um, I suspect the banks are also extremely, I mean, we're talking about from a household perspective, you know, we're work worried about it. And uh, but I, know, I know the banks are extremely concerned about this. And the banks talk with the Bank of Canada every single day, you know, that is happening. So we could, I think, uh, you know, we are potentially at that terminal rate mark very soon for the Bank of Canada. I think that could be the next big surprise. Um, so you look at what's happening there. Um, and so the, I mean, the retail numbers you mentioned earlier, but they were, they weren't good guys. Like they were No, they negative. weren't good. Sorry. I forgot to yeah. make that clear. They, they were, it's not good. So the growth story is starting to roll over. And uh, but so to, I suspect in, in Q1, for sure, we're going to start seeing some so some struggles taking place. But today, I want to sort of, sort of we have that happening in Canada. Um, the Bank of England, you know, they, they were chatting this morning at, at, a, at a conference or presentation, whatever they were doing over there. And uh, they had some real interesting comments that they made. Um, probably the best one that they made. I even wrote this down. I rarely take notes for the show, but I, I did for this one because it looks okay. But their quote was that, you know, uh, a weakening economy is necessary to bring down inflation. So they've already stated that this is going to be one of the worst recessions, I think over 40 years. I, th I think that's what they mentioned uh, just a few days ago. Uh, but but they are doubling down on this. They're telling everyone in, in Britain that, hey, it's going to get really tough out there. Uh, at the same time, they also alluded to the fact that they're going to ensure long-term rates don't go up, which is which is very similar. Now, they, they didn't describe exactly what they're going to do with that yet, but it, it's very similar to what the Japanese are doing right now. So the Japanese, they have unlimited 
quantitative easing, which means they're going to print as much money or yen as possible to make sure that the price of their bonds never go down. So the UK hinted, well, they didn't hint, they explicitly said they're, they're going to go kind of that route. They've also said they're going to raise rates aggressively on the short end to, to create that recession that they're talking about. And then they also said, uh, I didn't write down that quote, um, but they're very concerned about uh, the currency side as well. So if, if, if pound sterling, if, if that depreciates, you know, that that's inflationary. So now we have the, the Brits and, and the Japanese are trying to do everything possible to prevent the bond market from going under the currency market from going under. They don't they want the they want a recession to hit, which would hit earnings. So in people to believe in earnings drive stock prices, um, you know, that should bring down equity markets as well. So they, they got a big thing happening over there. So now we have the, the Japanese, we have the Brits, the Europeans. In, in which they're a bit different. I know they sound alike sometimes, but they are different <laughs> parts of the world. And we have the, you know, the Bank of Canada here. So I suspect the Bank of Canada is going to be joining that main theme very soon. So you got, if you want to have a, th a thought on on that, and then we'll yeah. jump over to what the Americans are, are facing this week. Well, you missed you missed one. Or the, <laughs> the Chinese Bank of, Bank of Korea. Uh, no, I haven't not, thought of it. Yeah. No, nah, I mean they're not that important, obviously, but they yeah, they raised twenty five basis points last night and basically indicated that they're pretty much done. Uh, but the reason why I bring that up is they actually have extremely similar. Rich, you might be able to comment on this. They have extremely similar um, profiles on their house to debt house hold debt to GDP ratios are are very very much in line with with where uh, the. Canada is um, so they they're they're large debt offenders similar to sort of uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand's still still pushing away hard on their rate hikes, but uh, anyways, yeah, I, Keith, I, I mean, I think we can kind of see the writings on the wall that uh, you know things are slowing pretty hard here, and uh, central banks are are slowly starting to sort of come around to the view that um, you know the damage is obviously being inflicted. Yeah, I mean, and that's tying in with because we've had a pretty good rally here lately with with equity markets, you know, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, I, I just find it incredibly interesting because with with the Americans especially, the 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 economic the economic data, it's it's what I would call dovish. You know, it it is showing that the economy is slowing, um, and it which also suggests that the Federal Reserve should start to turn dovish they, they should say hey you know we're not going to hike rates as aggressively as they were before and that you know they call it the terminal rate when they stop maybe it should be lower than what they're suggesting uh so we have they have so the market is you know it's playing a real dangerous game here because every time their market's done this since august uh powell has come out every single time afterwards and you know you know what do they do what do the mr burns do on the simpsons i'm gonna crush them you know crush them like an ant or, or something um that's well, he what tries to he tries to crush the paper cup i think and he can't because he's mr burns but anyway it's a great yeah movie. it's something yeah. like that yeah i agree and uh and then you got the old man like yelling at, at the clouds that's you. um that's me of course but you know don't be surprised if the Fed comes out now next week. Um, not say the Fed, I, I mean Powell, by the way, uh, with, with more aggressive language here. Oh, 
good bit of a pause because Willis had to say hello to the mailman. <laughs> and um, so the the other thing with with this though, uh, you know, sort of tying in this whole recession thing, and um, it's a funny thing. I, I think Rich, you you commented on this, and Steve noticed it as well. I think a couple of days ago. Um, I think the most interesting market movement that's happening right now is in the oil market. And in in my opinion, in my view. Um, Oil is no longer trading based on a supply story. It, it's now shifted very abruptly to this demand story. And that a demand story is in line with the recession, right? That's that's what that's what we're looking at here. So, you know, oil's on been, you know, a bit of the back foot here over the last week, maybe coming off. And um, you know, at the same time, which other market is starting to rally based on it should with a re- with a recession coming? Bond market. Yeah. That's good, Rich. Which one? Well, the Treasury bond market, yeah. three eighty, down yeah. from four, uh, down from four thirty, four twenty seven, or some interest. It's been a pretty good, higher yeah. It's been a pretty great. good move. So, uh, so the way it works in the investment world, uh, when, when you have a recession coming, you don't want to hold corporate bonds because the corporate bond is backed by the profitability of of the company. We have a recession. In theory, they have less profits coming in, which means they may have a less opportunity to pay back the bond. So if you're going to stay in the bond market, you want to go to the government side because, you know, and again, in theory, you know, they have an unlimited potential, you know, to tax everyone, you know, to death, basically. (laughs) Uh, Did you know that was coming? Well, I knew something like that was coming. (laughs) Uh, now you're like Mrs. Icecap, the second, right? We've been together too long. Uh, that's a see very it. high compliment. Thank you, Keith. Okay. Uh, but now, yeah, but the long end of the bond market is starting to do better now. And again, the point is we're, we're starting to see market movements that are in line with the way price discovery should be working. And the next one that will likely happen, I, I know, Rich, you keep great data with this as well, is on the earnings front. Uh, I'm not a big earnings guy. In in my mind, markets move based on capital coming in and coming out of a, out of a market, and thereafter you can say, okay, yeah, you know that happened with earnings and stuff. But uh, it, it's hardly likely you're going to start to see even more warnings coming up from um, you know different parts of of the economy and then you know the ten gig sectors that we would call it. But this now seems like we're now at the beginning of the recession that's coming. Well, let me just provide some narrative. Like the reason I th- I'm I look at the earnings is because there aren't any, <laughs> and does that make sense? Like if, if there were earnings, I think I'd be a lot less uh, skeptical about the rally, right? We've gone. I mean, you know, some markets are up twenty percent off the lows. I mean, the U.S. is about to hit four thousand, or if we haven't already hit four thousand on the S and P. Um, and that's just this function of this hope, this hopium that we talk about all the time, right? With the Fed wanting to pivot. By the way, if you look at the implied interest rate, it's like it's, it's, we always talk about the the, can, the Canadian um, in, in implied or interest rate expectations, sort of not really knowing what the what the Bank of Canada is going to do. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually also split for the Fed for the first time in a long time, right, Keith? If you can just cross check that, because I think whether it's going to be 50 or 75, and I think there was just a headline today saying they were going to it was going to be 75, and as you expect, Powell is going to be quite hawkish, um, even though the data is deteriorating, as you say. But the earnings things that I look at are like, I don't necessarily like models, but I mean, all of the models I do track are that earnings are continuing to deteriorate. Sales growth is deteriorating. 
And if you don't have sales growth or earnings growth, what ends up happening is you have, well, the combination of those is obviously, well, not obviously, but is, is margins and margins also are deteriorating. Um, and so I, we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the bond market rallying and the equity market rallying and which one was right and which one was wrong. Um, I think we're going to find out really soon, um, probably maybe sooner than some people hope. Um, and again, I think we actually agreed that it was probably the bond market that was right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see over the next like three or four weeks. I think we'll get our answer. Hey, speaking of the bond market, <clears throat> for the Canadians playing along at home that are sweating about these interest rates. Um, yeah, your Canada five-year bonds down about 65 basis points, uh, over the past month. So it's a huge move there. Um, you know, we were seeing some banks reduce their, their fixed rates. Um, you know, but I, I think the other point too, like, I think we've talked about this too, is just because you've got this massive yield curve inversion, uh, the, the twos tens in Canada is, is, is inverted by nearly a hundred basis points. Um, it's funny, you can actually see this just like in their, in their mortgage spreads, right? So you're paying more today to lock in like a one-year fixed mortgage than you are like a five-year fixed mortgage. So it's totally backwards to what you're used to. Um, but I mean, how much, how much Keith is rich, how much are you guys put into that, um, you know, that yield curve inversion, like how much weighting do you put on that in terms of what the bond market's trying to tell you? Go ahead, Keith. I, th I think it has a pretty good record. You know, yeah, it's like me too. That's what do they what say? That, say? Nine out of say? the last uh, seven recessions. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's predicted 12 out of the last nine, something like that's that. That's it, that's it. But again, like it's a function of capital will, will try to flow to where it can either not lose money, and that's what the bond market is about, or where it can make money. And uh, I think a lot of people know that with, with institutional money, which is what rules the world, you know, it's, it's not what, you know, you and I are doing. Um, they have some some money has to be the bond market all the time, and they can make small allocations. They can shift from corporate to sovereign debt and and so forth. So uh, if if with this inversion taking place, it means money is going into the long end of, of the curve, which is in you know sovereign debt, you know government debt, government Canada debt. So uh, you know I, I've been suggesting for a while we we are headed for initially back in the spring. I think I was suggesting it's going to be a slowdown coming. And now here we are. I don't. I think we'll be very happy if it's only a slowdown. Because if we just get a, a slowdown of this, this mythical soft landing that they keep, that the Bank of Canada and other central banks suggest that they're going to be able to orchestrate, uh, you know, we we can work through that. And you know, by we, I mean the economy and everything like that. Um, I think the likelihood of that happening is is, is quite small. I, I think we're going to hit a, a pretty big thud, and the. The danger we have with that here in Canada is that we, we've never witnessed this national housing bust before. Because if we do get a hard landing in the economy, it's absolutely just going to smoke housing, which means the banks take it on, on the chin and it will have a knock-on effect you know, everywhere else. And because we haven't experienced that before, we, we have this sort of a sense of invincibility that, you know, we're, we're immune from that. That's just something that happens to the Yanks, right? That doesn't happen or in, in Spain anywhere. or in Ireland. Yeah. Not Iceland. No, Iceland as well. <laughs> oh, Iceland yeah. too. Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that's my point though. Right. Cause you know, we have this people, we all think in a linear fashion and uh, like, I just see risk all the time. That's just the way I 
I live my life all the time. Uh, it could be really cool sometimes and just weird at other times. But right now in, you know, with the Canadian investment landscape, people haven't seen this before. And it doesn't mean it's it's going to happen or it won't happen. It means the probability has changed quite a bit. And it's, you know, it, it's going to slam some things pretty hard coming up. And again, we keep seeing these pieces of the puzzle. They're all starting to, to come together here now. And as we get more, uh, you know, economic data for December and as well as the January, you know, I think then it's going to be a, a bit of a, a done deal. Um, and there I, she was. China, I, I know we got to talk about China, right? No, no, before, before we do that, I just want, I think I want to take just one half a step back and talk about the yield curve just for a tiny, tiny bit. I think it's because people may not know the yield, like yield curve means the bond market and the bonds can be issued at short term. So one year, two year. 10 year, 30 year, I think Austria issued a 50 year bond or whatever. And the reason that people say, well, yield curve inversion, why does that predict a recession? Nine out of the last seven times or whatever the joke is. Um, and different bond, normally different parts of the yield curve, different maturities signal or incorporate different risks. So you might, and so there's things called the term premium. So how far out the yield curve, how long your maturity, it, like, for example, do I think I'm going to get paid tomorrow? Yes, I'm quite sure versus the day after tomorrow, I'm less sure. Therefore, as a lender, which is what you are when you buy a bond, you have to be compensated for that extra time. And so what the market is telling you now, um, and so different parts, sorry, excuse me, and so different parts of the yield curve, in effect, provide messaging on different uh, market and economic inputs or impulses. And so the longer, the further out the curve is about, let's say, this is broad strokes here, so forgive me, but is more about growth and sort of solvency. And then the front end of the yield curve is more about sort of economic policy. And so what you have, and, and more or less, I mean, this is a very broad subject that many PhDs in finance argue about and have done for a long time. And so what you're showing is the, as you're seeing the long end of the curve, whether it's the 10 or 20s come in, which means that the yields are falling, it, it's that the market is telling you it's worried about growth. However, the front end of the curve or the short end of the curve, there's not much movement at all because the policymakers are telling you they're going to raise interest rates. And so you could, some people, there's people who say, oh, this is like a pricing of a policy mistake or you know, this is what happens when you have a recession, because what that does is that inversion tells you that there's really tight monetary policy, perhaps that's too tight for the situation they're in, and the market's worried about growth. And so you have that dislocation where the 10-year, the long end, is lower than the front end, or let's say the two-year. Um, and if you look at over time, it tends to predict recessions in the U.S. It's not necessarily true of other countries with a you know, lag of six to 12 months or whatever it is that people will argue about. Anyway, sorry, back to China. Sorry, I just, some context there. No, it was good. I think, um, you know, brilliant. Uh, what was, it, was it someone called the thing, fun things with the rich? <laughs> so it's a new, new segment well, cause, coming. Because not everybody, I know my mom listens to this podcast and she has no idea what a freaking yield curve is. So that was for her. No, I, it's the, funny. I actually think I just know. tweeted or retweeted uh, Rob McClister there who's, who was posting with the 100 basis point inversion. Like you go and look at the replies and everyone's like, what does this mean? Like explain it to me like in simple terms, right? And and so 
I mean, it's really as simple as it's get, right? The market is, is worried about growth uh, and central bankers are, are hell-bent on raising rates on, on in, in the near term. So um, yeah, basically that that's kind of, you know, a good summary. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, part of this all as well is, 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 you know, how these markets are all moving together. We've talked about China and oil and, and GDP growth. And, you know, one of the, the stories, I guess, over the past several weeks has been, oh, you know, China is going to reopen um, and, and oil demand is obviously going to pick up. And and that could even create even more inflation because you've got the second largest, you know, global uh, global market sort of reopening. Uh, all this excess demand that's going to come through that, and and now we're we're getting reports that I think it was it was a Beijing just shut down, um, COVID Shanghai, case, Shanghai, like COVID cases there are actually at, uh, hitting all time record highs at the moment. And again, we know that we've kind of moved on from COVID here uh, in, in sort of North America, but uh, over there, it it still seems to be alive and well. So uh, obviously that's being reflected, Rich, in in uh, in oil pricing. Um, Perhaps some some. Well, Keith was going to say something before I interrupted him with the. Yeah, Keith, curve. go Sorry, ahead. Keith. Sorry, Keith. Yeah, you know, it's not a very deep thought at all, but, um, and it's 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 not a very uh, intellectual choice of words either. But China, what what's happening in China? It's just weird. It, it I like to be able to reconcile policy decisions with economic and, and market information and data, and what they're I. I like they're using COVID as an excuse to completely shut down their economy or to prevent people from getting out and doing stuff. So you probably saw the Foxconn videos from the last 48 hours. So, so uh, those who are not aware, Foxconn is basically the... Um, uh, the, the, the no, no, no they're the big sometimes. iPhone manufacturer. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they, make, I, they make chips for, for iPhones. Yeah, they make all know. kinds of stuff. They make all Okay, whatever. Mostly. Yeah, they're putting them all together anyway. But the point is the people in there, they've been locked into the factory now for a long time. And, uh, you know, they're getting restless. And there's actually riots taking place. They're trying to escape. And you can see these um, it's like armies, basically, of police coming in, all dressed in these in the white suits and everything the hazmat with, with, suit the hazmat yeah suit. <laughs> it's and, and again it's 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 all very odd and, and and strange um because you know for for china to work they need growth and everyone is aware yeah you know they they grew because of debt and from you know global trade that was the biggest you know driver of, of their growth and it was no miracle you know it's just debt you know that that's the way it works and everyone is also that they need to shift to more of a domestic spending consumption or you know that's that's what they need to do economically but to do that the households in china they're already stuffed with debt already uh and and they're ticked off because of that the housing market they're in isn't doing that well so there's a lot of stuff happening at the time when it it, it should be doing the opposite you know they should be opening up so uh you know my thought on it and this is one of those yeah like it's keith's thought it, it doesn't mean it's out there but i i suspect Things are a lot worse in China than what the data is showing, what the numbers are letting on. And they're just trying to make sure people cannot go out to protest. They cannot go out to sit in front of the bank, you know, and, and things like that. But but again, it's it's highly unusual what's happening over there. And at some point, something will will break. Either, as you said, Steve, like they're going to 
okay, yeah, you know, COVID is now over, that everyone turned the taps back on. Um, or it could be the opposite. You're going to get like a sharp escalation in, in 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 social conflict over there. So that's where that is. That's what that catches my attention as well, right? Did, and again, it's it's big. Do they actually? I I mean, I haven't followed too closely. Did they actually like lock the employees into the to the factory? They got locked yeah. in. That's that's so so they so I, I got a it's on the it's on the cover of the FT by the way. So FT is Financial Times. It's the pink newspaper. It's what all the finance bros in London read. And uh, on the on the cover of the freaking FT, you see all the cities. So I, I'm going to butcher the names, but Beijing, which is in the north, uh, Shanghai, which is on the coast on the right hand side when you're looking at the map. And then there's one called Jinzhen or whatever. And these cities, by the way, so it's not the whole cities, but I think it's like a couple of people contracted COVID like in a hotel and then they lock down the entire hotel and don't leave. And then the same thing at Foxconn's uh, Foxconn, by the way, is an enormous, enormous company that must employ. I don't know, I had to guess 100,000 employees. And they have like these huge, it's a huge compound, right? It's like basically a mini city that you drive into. There's like a gate with the, like a guy in a uniform or whatever. And in one of these like uh, enormous, enormous industrial complexes, I think one person tested for COVID and they locked in absolutely every, everybody it must be, let's say just conservatively three or 4,000 people working on an assembly line. And they locked everybody in there and they were not happy at all <laughs> and uh, they started to really push back and you're seeing this that they've, they've upset testing facilities in different towns uh you know there's something something fishy i just got to add one little tidbit which is amazing so I've, everybody must know by now that there's something called the world cup going on and obviously this is probably the most watched tel uh, television or any kind of um event basically and in china they love soccer in china um, and yet, and so when you watch the live matches in China, they've blurred out this, the, the stands. So just so we're clear, you watch, you know, Messi pass it to whoever you see the football players dancing around the pitch and all the stands are blurred out. So you can't see the fact that there's 80,000 Qataris yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs, not wearing a mask, which is just an absolute wild little tidbit that I had to share. I just like. There's something I mean, weird going on there. Between that and like the the containment camps that they're building, something 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 something's fishy over there. But um, you know, what's interesting here is like in Vancouver, I can tell you, you know that 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 Chinese money has been a windfall for for the city. I mean, I think you can throw the GTA into that as well. And man, the Chinese money just is not what it used to be like we had that like wild ride in 2015 16 into 17 and really ever since then and like then i think COVID has just kind of exacerbated it but i just feel like that money is like i wouldn't say it's gone like there's a lot of that money that's still parked here but like the new money coming in it's just just not coming in you can see like all these like luxury products or projects um that are you know being developed for basically these 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 buyers is just not performing at all um and so it's kind of interesting because you're like well who's the who's the who's the buyer of these luxury condos like moving forward like so many developers have made plans um to sell these projects and you know what's interesting is uh in 20 sort of 16 17 there was all these huge land buys so we actually had a lot of like chinese developers that came in to vancouver and just started land banking they just did they, they paid 
any any price in the land, you name it. So you have all the big local builders, all the top dogs had been here developing for a hundred years, smartest people in the room, offloading all their projects at top, top dollar to these Chinese developers. And you're like, well, how does these guys make the numbers work at these prices? And and I think we're now starting to see the tide go out. And you're like, yeah, I guess it, it looks like it was all this kind of mirage. So we're hearing more stories of these Chinese developers that were land banking. Basically, every year they just refinance. They go to a different lender, refinance, because every year the land value would just keep going up. So you just keep refinancing. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, right? As long as the market goes up, you know, 7, 10, 12% a year. You refinance and and the, the the bad debt doesn't really show up. But now what you're seeing is right. No, not only the land value is coming down, but the lenders don't really want to renew them because the loan to value is kind of eroding, and and they can't get money out of China. They can't get money out of China. So I don't know. There's there's something going on over there that's more than COVID. Um, but you know, like I said, anecdotally here on the streets in in our in our property market, you know, we're seeing it. Have you started seeing discounts on like the, how does it work in the real estate game? Do you like, you know, when you walk like right now, if you go into like, say it's Black Friday tomorrow, you walk into Ikea, whatever, there's like a sticker that says, you know, minus 40%. How does it work with these condos and these developments? I mean, will they say, will they just th- slap on a sticker that says, you know, 10% discount, we'll give you a Tesla and a popcorn maker. And if you buy this condo or whatever, or does it, is it more subtle than that? It's really, it's, it's pretty subtle. Like they don't, they don't. You can't really like openly average because what happens is like, you know, you think about it, you sold 75% of the building and then you start announcing to everyone on the top of your lungs that, hey, we're cutting the prices by 10%. Everyone that's that already bought in, the 75% of the buyers are like, whoa, what the hell, man? And like that will then actually, you know, if they still need to close because it's a new project, if they still need to close and get a mortgage, the bank can be like, well, hey, you know, you sold it to this guy for, you know, Seven hundred thousand dollars, but you're now advertising the new price is six fifty. We're gonna give loans to all of these buyers based on the price of six fifty. So now you run into these risks of of um, people that can't get financing to to close in your project. And then you're dealing with a bigger problem on your hands. So the the discounts tend to be, hey, you know, we'll give you a, a credit, to, you know, to decorate your your home upon closing. Uh, we'll give you a lower deposit structure. So the last thing the developer wants to do is to cut the price um, because of pretty much what I just said. So, yeah, like I said, I think this is all sort of coming to a front where we're starting to see the, these interest rate buildups, the lack of liquidity, um, developers that are some of them stuck with products, some of them that won't get off the ground. It, it, it is going to get interesting. And like I said, I always look at this from a from a front lines perspective to sort of gauge, you know, I know the Bank of Canada is looking at headline CPI on a year over year basis, but um, I don't know. To me, it looks. Can I ask very, you another question? Looks very deflationary so, in the months ahead. It, sorry, one more question on this. So I'm just sorry. I'm curious now. Like, so do you think the damage is done? So let's say for argument's sake, there has been the pivot today or not, whatever, not today on December 6th, they, they raised by 50 in six months from now, they're saying, just kidding, just kidding. We're sorry. We're sorry. We didn't mean to piss Keith off. We're going to start cutting. And by the end of 2023, they cut by 25 basis points. Do you think the damage uh, is done? Like, just like looking ahead, just, I know, I know this is like ridiculous speculation, but 
it's Thanksgiving and why not? But so, so just like, what would, you, what would, do you think the housing market would just immediately curve? Or do you think that there's scar tissue, just like there was scar tissue in Ireland and in Spain and in the US? I think it comes down to how long the rates hold here, right? So like if you get mortgage, if you get mortgage well, rates. So guys, I, I have to run. I uh, so you guys enjoy the rest of the, of the chat and uh, ciao ciao. This guy's got a big hedge fund to run, so <laughs> me and me and Rich will wrap it up. Um, Keith, we'll see you in Toronto, buddy. Cool, bye bye. Um, just to just to get back on that point is um, yeah, I think I, I now I've lost my train of thought. No, my po- my point is, do you think that? So my question was, oh, the the scar, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah do yeah. you think there's like do you think so for just the reason I bring that up is because, you know, once the bubble blew up in Spain, it didn't matter what interest rates did. Prices went down. In I don't Ireland, think it was a, the same. Yeah. In, I don't in think the U.S. it was the same. And do you think that that like in a year from now, if they start cutting, let's say January 2024, they cut interest rates by 25 basis points. Do you think we've had enough pain? Like, I was just, I'm just curious. That, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to hold you to it. Like, the, no, yeah, I think, I think section the, will, but <laughs> the damage is, in my opinion, is not done yet. Um, okay, in terms of like even psychologically, because like we're seeing it all the time now, where it's like sellers that like are trying to sell, not really getting their price, you know, small price reduction. And then they're saying, you know what, pull it off the market. Let's try again in the spring because it'll be a better market in spring. Like that, that's kind of the sentiment right now um, that they're going to have more success in the spring. And so I think it really comes down to like how long do rates stay at these levels, right? I think if if mortgage rates come back down into the threes, um, you know, relatively, like you said, in the next four or five months, I, I think we kind of get out of this relatively unscathed. You know, yeah, we've already had decent corrections in some markets, but I think if rates stay like, you know, even in the mid, you know, even in the mid fours, it's it's too high. It's too high, and I think like. I for think the debt levels, just... you mean, and the and the payment. So yeah, so the you're debt levels and the the debt servicing. It's too high. Yeah, and people forget that. Like, and so I know, like in Van- in BC, and I think the GTA is, I believe, fairly similar. But I'll go with BC for now, for sure. Let's just say this: if you let's say you like you you are delinquent on your payment on your mortgage payment, it takes like minimum minimum twelve months to get that property into like a court ordered sale situation. So it's like anyone that's like missing payments right now, cause your variables up like $2,000 per month. Like if you're missing payments today, like you're not going into a forced sale court ordered sale for another year, at least minimum. Uh, it's a long lengthy process to go through the court ap- approvals and you gotta do follow all the guidelines. So it's not like the U S where it's like you miss a payment like 30 days later, the sheriff's knocking on your door and pulling you out of the house. Like that's not how it goes in Canada. So that's why I say like, I think the damage is done. Like you're not necessarily seeing it yet. No, but the damage like, is not it, done. Sorry. The, the damage is not done. The damage is not done yet, but I okay. think like there's, there's a lot of pain. I think that that is out there that is, is going to bubble to the surface if rates stay sort of prolonged and we're in this like really crappy economy. Um, that that would be more of my concern. But right now, I mean, right? Like we've only been correcting, we've been correcting for less than a year. It's been, you know, we peaked in February and we're in just basically December now. Like it's only been like what, t- 10 months of a correcting housing market. That's 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 not even enough to really see like delinquencies and stuff like that. So that that will come to sort of fruition 
uh, I think late, like it's more of a Q three story next year. And same thing for people that bought these pre-sales that now might not be able to get mortgages because they got to get, you know, stress tested at seven and a half percent. Um, you know, those people haven't really come up yet. So anyways, long story short, I think that the Bank of Canada, I still think is looking in the rearview mirror, but that's partially, I mean, I'm curious your thoughts. That's partially political, right? Like it's pretty hard to cut rates with headline CPI, which is what every consumer basically looks at when they pick up the newspaper. When headline CPI is still at 7%, pretty hard to cut rates. But like, so I, I mean, I, I just, we, I, we started out the podcast. I know we're wrapping up. We started out the podcast with me throwing Tiff Mackland under a bus where he belongs. But I will concede that being a central banker is super hard job. That's why you don't make those claims. But anyways, the point, I, the reason I bring that up is because in effect, you're sort of always driving, looking at the rearview mirror. And in some ways, I think it's your job to sort of anticipate. But I think if you anticipate things, you get yourself into trouble. And often, you know, it's, you know, what is it the doctors have to do? Like a Hippocratic oath, like first do no harm. Um, I think that that's, you know, I think that central bankers should probably take some kind of oath like that. Um, but I also think that they're dealing with the best data they have at the time. Um, and it's tricky. I, I think it's just a really, I think they obviously made, made mistakes by keeping interest rates uh, negative, sorry, in, in real terms for as long as they did. That was, I think, sort of an unforgivable mistake. But, and I think in some ways they're trying to correct it now and i think that that you know correcting your mistake e.g scrambling for credibility after you've made what i think is a profound own goal i think is a dangerous game do you know what i mean i think that that's where we're we're watching central bankers sort of the world over struggle to recapture the credibility the perceived independence that they are meant to have and portray and to project. Um, and I think that you get yourself into trouble when you do those kinds of things. So I um, have a quick and, question for you and we'll wrap yeah. it up. Um, you were like, you mentioned to me, you're like, what's, when do you think, you know, over you're talking about like bank ads does, does a U-turn and starts cutting rates in 2024. I've actually got a question for you, which is like, when, what do you, if you had to pundit today, like the data can change, things can change. People don't understand these are highly complicated, complex markets, not going to hold you to it. But if you had to guess today, right now, when does the Bank of Canada get their first rate cut? When do they do their first rate cut? I mean, what do I want them to do or what do no. I think they're going to do? What do you think they're, they're going to do? <laughs> I think it'll be the end of 2023, uh, early 2024. Okay. Okay. So I'm, 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 I'm going to go, I'm going to go Q2 2023. So now what can I say what I want them to do? I want them to keep the rates at 4% for two or three years and let the market clear but i'm borderline in austrian economics we can discuss what that means in yeah. the next podcast and i i think market clearing is healthy part of a capitalist and liberal democracy and oh yeah I think and i think a lot of people any of that so yeah we and can i discuss think a lot that of people next week over that. beers at the loony hour live um podcast
much to be discussed. Uh, as always, guys, we appreciate your support. Uh, we will see you guys in Toronto uh, next week for the live event. Again, that live event will ultimately be recorded. We'll have it out on a regular time. So if you're missing it, obviously, you know, that sucks. But don't worry, you'll still have the recorded version as usual. And um, yeah, all we ask that you leave uh, leave us a five-star review. Get the uh, We're actually a little bit short on reviews on apple podcasts so if you guys want to jump over to apple Podcasts, pump up a couple five-star reviews uh that will always help we appreciate your support and we'll see you next week